0: Lord, we are hungry for you. We agree with the psalmist that as the deer pants for the water, so our souls long for you. We long for God. And we say with the psalmist too, when can we meet with God again? We want to go up to the Temple Mount and meet with God, Lord. So we're asking for that as we crack open your word that we would meet with the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we are all very aware of our need for deep transformation, and not just surface-level change. I believe we are all aware of our need for deep transformation and not just surface-level change. When Kelsey and I moved into the apartment that we currently reside in, we painted the walls. Actually, I should say you painted the walls, Uh, Nate Deans, uh, Cullen Newby here, uh, Dustin Hill, a few others. Thank you for painting the walls. But the thing is, that apartment is still 130 years old. So when you walk into the basement, the rocks of which have been cut from the Paleolithic era, and it's an archaeological dig anytime you go down there, it still leaks. Our porch, our sunroom, is still at a 15-degree angle. I'm afraid of rolling out sometime, like several New England homes. And the stairs, forget it. We might as well get a belay system to get us up and down those stairs. The thing is, a little paint job, although helpful, does not change the fact that it's 130 years old. Jesus used a, he just used two words. He, he called people who weren't experienced transformation, he said, whitewashed tomb, right? To, to illustrate for us when we got death on the inside, but we just kind of make it look good on the outside. Whitewashed tomb. And in your own life, as I've said, you're probably aware of the fact of the need for transformation. Maybe you are able to stop that compulsive shopping habit. But if you're still on the inside consumed, obsessing over the cars and the shoes and the homes and the clothes of other people, have you really been transformed? Maybe you are able to stop looking at pornography. But as a married person, if you're not moving towards all the whole spectrum of intimacy towards your spouse... Or as a single person, if you're not moving away from those deeply enmeshed kind of uh, emotional attachments that are unhealthy, then have you really been transformed from that idolatry that's at the root there? Maybe you're able to stop yourself from saying anything negative about your boss. But if you haven't moved from a place of seeing your boss as a human who out of his or her own brokenness, perhaps is having trouble in life and a part of that is treating you incorrectly, if you're not able to pray for them, have you been transformed? And so what we posited last week was that we're in need of this deep transformation. And Paul says it in Ephesians 4.17. He says it very strongly. He says, I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That word just meaning nations, and in our case, just meaning the world, unbelievers. But you've got to be, or, and he says, in the futility of their thinking, Right? We must no longer live as the world does in the futility of their thinking. So what it's needed for us to actually have deep transformation is we need transformation that affects our thinking, and as he'll go on to say in eighteen and nineteen, that eventually changes our hearts. Anyone there with me today? Is it just me that needs a total overhaul of this heart of stone? I need it, and I think some of us some others of us do here. And so what we said is that The first place that we need to be transformed is in our thinking about our relationship with God, right? What is true about who we are in Him? What does God think and feel about us? That really is the foundation. I know this to be true, and I see it very clearly in my own relating to my almost four-year-old son and almost two-year-old daughter. If in disciplining them, I am out of control emotionally, which does happen from time to time. Deep transformation of the heart cannot happen unless we are secure in our relationship with God. So with that in mind, let's look at Ephesians 1. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. 5 to 10, we'll do today, okay? 5 to 10. So start with me to Ephesians 1, 5. Remember Paul is writing about 62 AD from a Roman prison encouraging a church plant that he had just left about four years ago. Keeping tabs on him. Encourage him in the Lord. He says this. In this great outburst of praise that we're just going to pick up. And the NIV is correct to start it with, in love. Okay, that in Greek, that in love belongs to this phrase we're about to share. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, do you hear a few positive words in there? Do you hear the heart of God in here? In love, right? In love. Pleasure. It was his pleasure and his goodwill. He's freely given you grace. That's the attitude of God towards you. You are enjoyed and desired. Everyone say enjoyed. Everyone say desired. Okay, it is not begrudgingly that God moves towards you. Too often we think that God is mad at us all the time, that he's not present, right? He doesn't see what's actually going on in your heart and your life. Or we think that he's just manipulative and wanting something out of you because you're just a cog in the machine. But actually, the opposite is true. And as as Max Lucado pointed out so poignantly in that children's story, God just wants you to be with him. You know, whether you're a star person or a dot person. Some of you are grade A flesh. You guys look good in the world. You're awesome academically, athletically. You're beautiful. And praise God, he's made you that way. Now, some of you are... Our great D flesh, right? You stink, you smell, and um, you don't perform as well in the world. But the deal is, no matter where you are on that spectrum, he loves you, and he just wants to be with you. He wants to take off the stars and the dots. It doesn't matter what other people think about you, because at the end of the age, there's going to be one opinion that matters, and that's God's. And he loves you, and he's for you, right? And this is so important. Uh, Because if we don't get that settled, as I mentioned earlier, it means our whole relationship with God is either very rocky and tenuous or the tenor and the tone of our relationship with God is one of, God, you love me and you're for me. Amen. Now, what did he predestine us to? He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. Now, adoption as sons and daughters That doesn't hit us in our hearts, and that's what we're believing for today. I'm believing that the Word of God is going to change our makeup emotionally today because an emotional change will change our outlook on God. But we don't realize how powerful adoption is until we realize what orphans we really are. And I call to mind a story of a girl named Christina uh, through an adoption agency that is uh, on the web, Christina's story is this. She was raised in a small Russian village called Pushno, north of Moscow. And oh my goodness, tragedy of tragedies before her very eyes. And, and now as she recalls it, she says, I don't remember much because it was so drab and so dark for me as a child. But before her very eyes, her father, who was already handicapped, and she said it was sometime about first grade, so I guess six or seven years old, she watched her father be beaten to death by another man before her very eyes. She didn't know why it happens to this day. She doesn't know why her father, already handicapped, was beaten to death. Her mother, unable to have income any other way, sells herself as a way of making money so she can give bread to her own kids. She remembers, um, Christina remembers the nights where it was just her and her younger brother alone while her mother was going and plying her trade so they could live. Can you imagine? I just really cannot as far as I just, (laughs) I mean, a seven, eight-year-old going through this. And so one day, of course, the state comes to take her away and her little brother, and they become wards of the state in a Russian orphanage. And as she says, she says she learned how to not feel anything anymore. It was just survival. And you look at pictures from her days in the orphanage, and you just see an empty shell of a little girl. But then, sorry, let me pause and just say, and that's you and me without God. That's you and me without God. We are orphaned. We don't know Him. We're a shell of ourselves. We're just trying to survive. Isn't that true? That's my experience. But then one day, a family from Atlanta, Georgia, comes and says, we're going to take you home. And her world got changed. Oh, you should see the picture of her now. A beautiful, she's a 22-year-old, stunning Russian girl, studying Russian uh, studies and actually doing a, a thing at St. Petersburg, a study abroad program at St. Petersburg now. And she's got life and she knows the Lord. And there she is, the image of God, right? You and I were orphans until God came and adopted us. And we got to become who God has called us to be. Amen? This is not religious mumbo jumbo. This is earth shattering, life changing, transformative truth. You are adopted as a son and a daughter by God. Amen? So much more to unpack there. Let's move on to seven and eight. In Him, in Him, just do one thing for me though. Just say, I'm adopted. Can you say that for me? I'm adopted. Just say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Come on, receive that. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you do the right one. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. That's a whole other issue. I'll preach on that later. Okay. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding Is anyone here in the house... Come on, you get forgiveness and you get redemption. Amen? I don't mean to be cynical or negative, but can I just tell you actually the first two thoughts when I see you come through the door here at the harbor? I got two thoughts when I see you. Oh, forgive me. God, forgive me. My two thoughts are this. Here he comes, here she comes. And I say, I bet a lot of bad things have happened to her. And then I say, and I bet he has done a lot of bad things. Those are my first two thoughts about you. Praise the Lord. I just think, as soon as you walk through the door, I know, here comes someone to whom a lot of bad things have happened in their lives. They probably have a few regrets. They probably have a little bit of discouragement. And then the second thought is, and they're no innocent babe in the woods either. I don't know what that expression means. but I said, and they've probably done a few bad things too. They probably have a little shame and some regrets in their lives. Too bad, (laughs) you know? And so, oh, yeah, there we go. (laughs) And so, um, thank you, Steph Connectly. And so those are my first two thoughts. But the good news is what is available to you is both redemption and forgiveness, okay? And those things, they're not religious gobbledygook. Those are transformative events. Everyone say redemption redemption. I want to tell you about a man named Adoniram Judson Gordon. A few of you might have heard of him. Well, back in the 1800s, late 1800s, he was pastoring his church, Clarendon Street Baptist Church in Boston, and a little boy came to the front door, and uh, the front door of the church, and he had had his kind of ratty old cage, two kind of weird-looking birds. And uh, the boy said, (laughs) you know, I got these birds. I just caught them in the field over there. And uh, Pastor Judson, uh, Pastor Gordon said, um, well, what are you going to do with them? He said, well, I'll probably just bring them home to feed them to my cats. And uh, Pastor Gordon said, you know what? Can I actually buy those off you? I'll give you 2 bucks for them, which, again, back in 1800s was someone do the math. Gabe, you're going to be an actuary? I don't know. $100. <laughs> I don't know if you, just xc.com will do the, um, the uh, conversion for us. Uh, $2, not a small sum back then. And he buys those birds from him. Thank you, son. And this, as, as, as he uh, gave the birds to the pastor, the boy said, hey, just, you know, they don't sing that well, so, you know, whatever. Good luck, you know. And so Pastor Gordon takes them through the church, out the back of the church, opens that cage, and sets them free. And as Pastor Gordon said, he said, it was like as soon as they were set free, they started to sing. And it was as if they were singing, redeemed, redeemed. Well, let's talk about the bad things that have happened to you. The bad things that have happened to you, they've got you caged up, right? We all have these wounds. We have things that have hurt us. We have events that have happened in our lives, and they cage you up. But what does God do in Jesus Christ? Because that word redemption is very much the language of a slave. Um, Don't mind what's going on behind me. That's okay. You guys are awesome. Uh, that, That word redemption, it's about purchasing a slave. And so you have been purchased back. And you've been set free. So no matter what has happened to you, those things that have hurt you and wounded you, that caused you pain and caged you up so that you're more afraid than you should be or more anxious or more timid or whatever it is that you're limited by, God, he's paid for you in Jesus Christ. He's opened the cage and said, redeemed. Everyone say, redeemed. Redeemed. He has bought back that mess that you got into by someone else's evil hand and even the devil himself. But God buys it back. Amen? Now you're forgiven. Everyone say, forgiven. Okay, you are forgiven, and forgiven is absolutely transformational. Forgiveness is absolutely life-changing. Kelsey and I finally saw Les Mis last Thursday, and let me tell you a little bit about Jean Valjean. Can I do that? Now, did he have some transformational forgiveness go on in his life? You bet he did. In prison for 19 years, four or five of it for stealing bread so he could feed a relative. 15 of it because he kept trying to escape he finally gets free but he's marked as an ex-con so he can't get a job he can't get any favor anywhere but the good bishop of Digne which is really fun cuz Digne is the french word for worthy but the good bishop of Digne takes him in and that night Jean Valjean trying to survive on his own steals all the silver he is caught by the police the police haul him back to the good bishop and say bishop we found him he's got all the all the silver what do you want to do with them? And he says, oh, well, Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. Here they are. And off to the side, the bishop says, I have bought your soul for God with this forgiveness. Now, you use your life for the purposes of God. And, of course, if you know the story that sets in motion in Jean Valjean's life, nothing but mercy and grace moving forward in the lives of the likes of Fantine and Cosette and even uh, the Inspector Javert who can't handle the mercy and grace that comes his way. Right? Forgiveness is transformational. You need to know to the core of your being that you are forgiven, not by anything you've done, but as it says, by the blood of Jesus. Okay, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. You need to receive that and accept that. Now, of course, you struggle with guilt feelings when you do bad things because the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. He's doing his job because you do want to stop sinning. It's going to be better if you stop, right? (laughs) It will be better. There are consequences for your sin and man, when you stop sinning, It just is better. So there's some guilt there, but you need to know that's a good guilt, and it leads you to forgiveness. It leads you to the truth that you are redeemed and you are forgiven. Amen? Come on, let's receive it. (laughs) Praise you, God. He's good. Isn't he good? (laughs) Okay. Again, the language there is not, uh, you know, this, again, the language here in 7 8, riches, grace, he's lavished on you. Uh, uh, You know, again, as I mentioned last week, Paul is hitting the limits of language because he's just so excited about this miraculous thing that God's done. Please receive it as such. Please note the fact that Paul is going crazy here and he doesn't have language to contain how wonderful this is. It is wonderful that you have redemption and forgiveness. Amen? Be transformed by it, please. And let's move on to 9 and 10. (coughs) And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. There's a theme here, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Let me read that again. And by the way, if you guys who think I'm skipping the predestination part, listen to last week's message. We talked about that last week. <laughs> okay. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Let me share a little bit. Can I? When I used to teach high school, down the street was this incredible invention of humankind. It's probably a pinnacle of cultural wisdom. They put a Taco Bell, and a KFC under the same roof. That's genius. All the things I like. Now, if you know KFC, the colonel, he has a secret recipe, doesn't he? It's got 11 herbs and spices. Do you remember that? Well, it used to be back in the day that the colonel had those spices just in his car, and he'd make that little mixture to cover the chicken with just on his own. Well, eventually, he had to write down that secret recipe. That recipe is still utterly secret. In recent years, when KFC changed banks and they had to move that written-down copy of the recipe from one safety deposit box to another, they got an armored car. They got a motorcade to move this thing. No, I'm not kidding. No, two, There's just a few of the uh, cabinet-level employees that know the recipe. They are not allowed to travel together. I'm not kidding, okay? And even right now, when they mix that incredible uh, mixture of herbs and spices, <laughs> can you tell I like KFC? So... Yeah, what time is it? Okay, (laughs) almost there. Mm. Who else is sad that that KFC became a um, Siam Delight or whatever it is? Yeah, okay, you're happy. Are you happy or sad? (laughs) Okay, thank you, David. We can fellowship together now. Good. KFC, when they mix that mixture, there's actually, you know, so we're in the age of of, um, outsourcing. So one company makes part of the formula. The other company makes the other half. So the two companies don't know. And then it's a computer that mixes them together. So like there's not too many humans that understand this recipe. Now, there's something way more exciting and of import than the Colonel's secret recipe that's going on on the earth today, as exciting as KFC is. And that is God's plan for unveiling what he wants to do. Now, the good thing is it's not a riddle and he's not guarding it with an armored car. But God has made known to everyone, and not just to some special pastors, not to just a few, a little apostolic band. But we all are brought into the mystery that what God wants to do is it's in Jesus. He's allowing us all to come into a good relationship with God through his death on a cross. And God has opened that up to everyone. We are all partakers. Now, I don't know about you, but some days I have a little pity parties and I think, man, I wasn't included in that. They forgot to email email me on that. How come she didn't call me then, right? This, that, and the other. But can I tell you the good news? The good news is you are not left out of the most important party of all time. That's the party that God's throwing for you, okay? You are not left out. And if you're prone to feeling left out, I want you to get it in you that you are not left out because there's a great party that you're invited to. You may not be invited to that one you really wanted to be, but man, this one is going on in heaven And you're invited. You are not left out. And a part of that party is is the second part of this verse, which is (laughs) God is moving history somewhere. And his goal is to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Okay, that's where the whole world is going. And though it feels like the opposite is happening right now. Okay, I look around history and it feels like there's darkness coming over the land. But all I know is this is that sometimes when God's about to play a great card, it seems like the enemy plays a card first. I feel like that's the very thing we're in right now. The enemy's kind of playing a card. Darkness is sweeping over the United States in a very rapid way when it turns into uh, concerning religious liberty and things like that. But I get excited because I just know this is going to be the church's finest hour. And I know that we are moving towards all things. Every knee will bow. And every heart and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It really is where we're going, and that's my hope. So the church is going to just come into its finest hour. Now, maybe that macro thing is exciting on a Sunday morning, but in your day-to-day, you wonder, how does that affect me? And I would just say this with just a little illustration. In, In the last 10 years of my life, I've been both a teacher and a pastor. But the great thing is this verse, no matter what my vocation has been, has always helped me know kind of who I am and what I'm about. When I was teaching in public school and at days I got very discouraged because of kind of just seeing, (laughs) man, 2,000 of the future of this country being educated in an ungodly way. And kind of the foolishness that went on both institutionally and um, just where teenagers are these days. It could get really discouraging, but I would just keep saying to myself, you know what? Here's the thing. God is bringing all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. And there are students here that can know that Jesus is their Lord. There are students here that can know that God is real, even though he's mocked in their very history classes, even though we bring in guest speakers to this school who make fun of the Bible. Man, that really killed me. I talked to the principal on that one. You've heard this story before, but I remember saying to the principal, and I'm talking really fast, I'm getting really excited, and someone gave me a, a turbo shot this morning of caffeine. I didn't ask for it. They just gave it to me. So <clears throat> I remember saying to my principal, I'm saying, How is this fair? Right? If a speaker had come into this school and made fun of the Torah, or if they'd made fun of the Quran, you know they would have been out of here, and you would have had the whole parent world all over you. But this guy comes here, makes fun of the Bible, the Bible about which and around which I'm ordering my whole life. How is this fair? Of course, I did in a respectful way, but my point is this. I know where we're headed, so I know when I go to have that conversation with the principal, it's not me against her. It's, hey, I know how this thing ends. And with humility and confidence and grace, I can move into this conversation. You're going to have those conversations too, where you work, where you live. And you can with joy and confidence say, "Ah," you know, whatever the issue is, wherever you're getting pressed or wherever it's getting dicey, you can know in your heart of hearts that this is where history is moving. Amen? Amen. We're going to do something now that we saw modeled in the Old Testament. And when God kind of made it clear to the Israelites, hey, here are blessings and curses. Here's what happens when you follow follow me. Here's what happens if you don't follow me. They just kind of sh- shouted and sang to each other. So, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. And we're going to start speaking truth to each other according to your section. Okay? So, you over here, you're the left section. Okay? Can you just raise your hands, left section? There you go. Okay, center section, you're here. Okay, yes, yes. A few yawns. Okay, there we go. You guys are the biggest one. You got an advantage here. So, all right, right section, okay? We are just going to speak truth over one another, okay? Uh, and get some of this in our heart of hearts as we... Okay, here we go. Last section, can you speak this over these guys? Let's do it together. What God speaks to you when you are in His Word, in worship, and in prayer is true. That was from last week, okay? You guys center. You belong to God, your Father, Right section, your true master is Jesus who came for you to rescue you. Left section, you have supernatural resources through the Holy Spirit to help you. You are not an accident, an afterthought, or a randomized mistake. God chose you before he made you. God the Father has always wanted you and Jesus to be together Holiness and purity are your destiny and your destination. God the Father enjoys you, desires you, and loves you. You belong in God's family as a favored daughter or son. God is big enough to handle your mess. God is powerfully redeeming you from the bad things that have happened to you setting you free to become all that he created you to be. God forgives you of the bad things you have done, wisely lavishing on you this amazing benefit of the shed blood of Jesus. You are not left out of the most important plans of the universe. Your life has significance. You are not hopeless You have abundant hope today. And all together, God is transforming us deeply by transforming what we think about ourselves, about Him, and about our relationship with Him. Amen? Truth, okay? Praise the Lord. We're going to worship a song here. We're going to have our prayer team up here. If any of these things are hitting you hard, I imagine that when we talk about redemption, the bad things that have happened to you. I imagine that when we talk about forgiveness, the bad things you've done. We may be stirring up something there. Is there anything there that you need prayer for? Please come up and our prayer team will make themselves available here and um, just get the prayer you need. We also prayed before the service and asked the Lord, Lord, is there anything special you want to do today? We had a few key words. One was for neck. So if your neck hurts, you're having pain in your neck, we believe that God wants to touch you today. And if we had several on ear, so it was both literal and figurative. If there's something wrong with your ear, we want God to pray for you and we want to believe that He can heal it. But if it's figurative and you're out there and you say, I just can't hear God. When I go to spend time with the Lord, I don't feel like He speaks to me. Then we want you to get prayer because God wants to open your ear figuratively as well. Amen? Anything at all, you come and get prayer as we worship Him together. Lord, we long for you, and we just confess that we cannot transform our own lives. Our every attempt to transform ourselves is futile, but when we meet the God of transformation, we get changed. Lord, we long for deep substantive change in our heart of hearts. No more surface change, God. It just won't cut it. And you're raising up a people speaking of dark times coming, you're raising up a people who are totally transformed so we can handle the wind and waves that are coming, and so we can shine, like Paul said, as stars in the universe in kind of a crooked and depraved generation. Lord, change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.